the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And in this episode, we are bringing you a holiday-ish episode? Not really. It's a holiday-themed, sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, because at one point in the movie American Tale, they mentioned Hanukkah, uh, and so we decided that considered it for a holiday movie. And so, uh, but more so, really, this is a Spielberg mouse episode. Yeah. If, it, if it's produced by Spielberg, this is this, this is during his mouse phase in his career that everyone <laughs> knows, but we are going to be doing a full breakdown of the 1986 movie American Tale. Uh, we are also going to do a TV review of Pinky and the Brain, and then, because it's around Xmas, we are going to be doing a casting of the comic book superhero team X-Factor. That's a stretch, I know. <laughs> We wanted to do something that wasn't just straight Christmas again. I know we've mm-hmm. done that two years in a row. We wanted to uh, stretch it a little bit. I always remember watching the movie American Tale, and it does talk a little bit about Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what? This will be a good one to do for our sort of main holiday episode. Um, yeah, because we've done we've done some Christmas movies before. Let's uh, let's get something a little bit different in here. And we really care about the mice holidays. That's the most important <laughs> thing. Um, no, of course, that was a joke. But uh, American Tale was a movie that all of us remembered when we were younger. Uh, and I would also be excited to, to do the second movie eventually, either with John on, mm-hmm. on the main one, or uh, if he doesn't care about it, we could do it, me and Corey, on our no, That is sequels. definitely one that I remember cool. very well. Well, then we'll keep it on the docket for a potential uh, sequel for that. All right. So that is the reason why we did... <laughs> Two mice shows uh, and a comic book thing, <laughs> but um, 1986, uh, besides the year after I was born, uh, what else happened in 1986? All right, so the movie came out on November 21st of 1986. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week was Amanda by the band Boston. I'm gonna take you by surprise remember that song at all it's one of their ballads i i maybe have heard it a couple times but it's definitely not it's not the boston thong song boston boston thong (laughs) (laughs) that boston thong 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 (laughs) exactly it's not the boston song i think of when i think of that band yeah uh topping the nielsen ratings that week uh is a classic show and one that unfortunately uh kind of passe to talk about Mm. now and that's the cosby show because Cosby put some roofies in the pudding, and then he gave it to the girls, and then he got in trouble, and now he's probably going to die in jail. <laughs> that, was my, that was my Cosby. That was horrible. It was a horrible Cosby, but he's a horrible man. Yes. So, uh, so interestingly enough, I, I wanted to look up, I just out of curiosity, since I kind of look up you know, what was on the billboards that week, and I did look up at the Nielsen ratings, I wondered, you know, what's on the New York Times bestseller list for books? What are hmm. people reading back? That's it's interesting, yeah. And it was It by Stephen King. Oh, very topical. Yep, <laughs> That's very good. topical. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I'll say about uh, 1986, 1986 was when the longest war in recorded history ended. Uh, it was between the Dutch and the British island of Scilly, there were no casualties in this war. 
and it was because the Dutch actually forgot they were at war with this <laughs> island. And it wasn't until a historian on that island uh, contacted them to be like, you know what, the, we had a declaration of war against you, and that never was resolved. So <laughs> that's why uh, the, the war lasted 335 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> Before somebody noticed, hey, we never signed a peace treaty on yeah, this. Yeah, did they? Did they have to officially? <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> they had to create a, a peace treaty for it. That is funny. So anyway, that was 1986. All right, some interesting facts there. Uh, now we are going to, I don't know, scurry our way into American Tale. <laughs> there we go. American Tale, 1986. This movie was directed by Don Bluth, uh, who we've talked about a couple times before in our Land Before Time and Rockadoodle episodes, because he directed both of those, as well as some other stuff like Secret of Nim, and he worked on multiple Disney films as well. Um, The music in this film, which is really good music, uh, was done by James Horner, who we've talked about him before in our Land Before Time and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids episodes, but he also did the music for Titanic, Avatar, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Aliens, tons upon tons of movies. Um, unfortunately, we lost him a while ago, but mm-hmm. uh, he was a, an absolute fantastic composer. And a, a giant in the field. Yeah. Great music. Great yeah. music. It is. Every single one of those that I mentioned is is a score that I could listen to and just mm-hmm. kind of have some themes that I remember. Uh, all right. So as we kind of mentioned before, uh, this little director, Steven Spielberg, produced uh, American Tale. Um, he'd also produced Land Before Time as well. Mm-hmm. So he worked with Don Bluth on multiple different projects. But this uh, it's always kind of fun seeing you see his name. His name is Big. You know, yeah. Steven Spielberg presents American Tale. Because, right. uh, you know, but he is, he's kind of a big, big guy in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. This film stars Philip Glasser as Feifel Mouskowitz. He hasn't really done anything else that I recognized. Amy Green as Tanya Mouskowitz, the sister. She hasn't really done anything else that I recognized. Nehemian Persoff. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah Persoff. As Papa Mousekwitz, great voice for that thing, and he's done tons of other like one-off characters, but none mm-hmm. that really stood out to me. But he had he's done a lot of work. Yeah, he's still alive. Nehemiah? Oh wow. Yeah, he was born in 1919. Oh wow, that makes him he's 100 years old. He Today? turned 100 back in August. Wow, well, way to go, Papa. Good job, Papa. Yeah, keep playing that violin. That's all I'm <laughs> gonna say. Um, and then Erica Yone. Uh, she did the voice of Mama of Mama Mouskowitz, uh, and she's been in a good bit, but nothing I really recognized. And then I'll kind of talk about them as we get to them, but some other big voice actors, Christopher Plummer, Madeline Kahn, Dom DeLuise, and others uh, were in this film as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right before I get into the actual breakdown of it, uh, I do want to say this was a good box office hit, enough to make it the highest grossing non-Disney animated film at the time ah. when it came out. Okay. So it's pretty big. All right. We start off with the snowflake and some opening title cards. We're then at the Mouskowitz residence. It is apparently in Russia, 1885. Uh, We meet the family. We find out it's Hanukkah. The kids are getting presents. Feifel, who's this, you know, cute little middle child. uh, He's got he gets a hat from his father that was passed down. You know, it's kind of been in the family and it's kind of big on him. It's kind of cute. It kind of keeps falling down his ears and stuff like that. We also get just good good little family time here. The father is doing a story of the biggest mouse in Minsk, uh, something that, you know, apparently it's just big folklore for 
all the mice that they have. And we also kind of get a little glimpse about, okay, cats are being scary. They're a part of this world. Uh, Just in general, like mice in this world exist in their own little society, Mm -hmm. but it's separate from Earth. Or, or not earth but human society right it's like if you ever if you go into a little mouse hole in the wall it's going to be almost the exact same thing of whatever whatever building it's in right it's going to have its own little version but just mouse sized right if you will kind of reminds me a little bit of like the rescuers the world of the rescuers oh yeah, yeah it is it is similar to that yes yes you know his father's also talking about america we just kind of get get america is this big you know dream place um you know which it was kind of in reality it was kind of like this, you know, hopeful spot for everybody. And, you know, he mentions the most important thing, that there are no cats there. Okay. <laughs> in America, there are mouse holes in every wall. Who says? Everyone. In America, there are breadcrumbs on every floor. You're talking nonsense. In America, you can say anything you want. But most important, and this I know for a fact, in America, there are no cats. Then all of a sudden, in town... You know, these riders are coming in and they set things on fire. And then these cats, very scary ass looking cats come in out of nowhere. And their design was pretty crazy. I liked how they had little like Russian hats on. (laughs) Yeah. So it was uh, apparently, I forget the exact date. And I did look this up and I have to do this from memory because I don't have it right in front of me. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was around the time that one of the Russian czars was for some reason just completely anti-Semitic. And... Was sending his Cossacks, which is the sort of the Russian. When you think of like the Russians with like the fur hat and the coat mm-hmm. and the rifle, that's a Cossack. Oh, okay. Um, he sent them uh, basically to harass and basically get rid of uh, all the Jewish families in Russia. And this was, I think, it was like the late 1800s. 1885 is when the movie was set. So, yeah, yeah. So this was uh, around this time. I got the impression, and I think as we've seen with other Spielberg movies a la Schindler's List, um, he takes this very personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg obviously is Jewish. It sounds like a lot of the stories or some of this is sort of based on tales or inspired by things that his grandfather went through. Oh, wow. So I don't know. So I know that there are certain things that happened in this story that are based on tales that his grandfather, I don't remember if this one is, or if he thought this was a good you know, catalyst mm-hmm. for setting this story and, and having this tale, basically this in, an immigrant tale. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, yeah. You know, it's a, a tale of coming to America. Yeah, much like the Eddie Murphy film, <laughs> uh, which was not as not, not the same, but um, but yeah, this that's absolutely what this is. So, which is which is the tale of America? Honestly, it's an American yes. tale. Yes. Aha. See what I did there? I yes. brought it back. Uh, all right. So, um, with all these cats around, Feifel has a chase scene, and he, you know, it's a good little chase scene. He has to get away from him. He does end up getting away from him. Um, the family sees that their house was burned down at this time uh and so the father just kind of reiterates man in in america there are no cats you know so (laughs) okay uh we cut to hamburg and and in uh, germany and the family is boarding a boat to sail to america they're gonna go there because they obviously are feeling ousted in from russia and their home has Mm -hmm. been burned up uh on the boat you know they're all eager to get there and their father just kind of says a little line of you know as long as we're together we'll be all right and that that is a good uh foreshadowing Yes. Honestly, that's that's that just you hear that. I heard that line. And I was like, uh oh, something's not going to be all right then. Yep. <laughs> we also see that Feifel is, you know, he's just a very impatient and impulsive kid. 
we, you know, then that's, that's something that he's just, he's running around the boat. We saw that a little bit earlier as well. Like, you know, I'll get the cats out of here and he gets his ass chased because right. of it. You know, his, his impulsiveness is going to get him into some trouble. I definitely pleasantly remembered, even though it's not much of a scene, the scene where they're walking up the rope to get onto the boat mm-hmm. and every like 10 feet, he stops to ask them a question yeah. and like, the band is playing and they stop when he stops, <laughs> which makes no sense why they would do that. But he just he's holding up the line and I completely forgot about that until that scene and I was like oh yeah I forgot about this he keeps stopping to ask questions mm-hmm. and pissing everybody off yeah. <laughs> yeah there were good moments in this uh, movie that uh, we definitely talked about it with Land Before Time but like you just get some shots or you get some little scenes and you're just like you're taken back to when you kind of watch and be like oh yeah this is in there this is in the deep recesses of my brain mm-hmm. I like that so um Papa tells, you know, everybody on the boat that there's no cats in America, and then we get a song all about there are no cats in America. But there are no cats in America, and the streets are paved with cheese. Oh, there are no cats in America, so set your mind at ease. <laughs> and the whole song itself, you know, obviously there's no cats in America, and the streets are made of cheese. Right. Uh, it, it's all about really the hyperbole of America and like the American dream, and yeah. you know of, of immigrants going there, and oh, everything's going to be great in America, which you know is obviously not the case always. Right. Uh, but I, you know, that just kind of I liked that song because I did feel like it was probably similar to how it was for immigrants feeling, you mm-hmm. know, it, it was it's the great hope, you know, yeah. that that country at that time. Yeah, not so not so much anymore now. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it is for some. Yeah. Probably is for some, you know, and I we've been privileged to live in it and have a fantastic life here yep. that we can have a podcast for shits and giggles <laughs> about stuff like this, and it's yeah. awesome. So, yay, America. Woo! And go dogs. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Most people don't even know what that means, but <laughs> they can figure it out. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, while the boat is, you know, sailing off Fifel, uh, you know, he gets on this soap bar and it's you know floating away from everybody now he's just he's just getting being impulsive with different stuff mm-hmm. um and we see that you know he wants to see and i thought that was like the exact moment when he floats away when he was on the on the soap bar um but like he, from an earlier scene he wanted to go see some fish and now he sees that they're outside but of course a big storm is going on right now and he like tosses his hat out the door to be like Oh, Papa, I got to get my hat, you know, just trying to like (laughs) give himself a reason to go do it. But, you know, because of everything that's going on outside and the wind and the water, he gets swept away into the ocean. And dude, it's emotional as his dad is screaming, Fivefold, watching his son getting swept into the ocean, knowing that his kid is dead. His kid just died pretty much in front of him. And it was just like, yeah. And it's just kind of like, man, fucking Don Bluth and Steven Spielberg, they hit you hard because with Land Before Time, like the mother death scene yeah. early in that one, and then this one, I mean, granted, we know that Feifel's not dead as an audience because we're following it, but it's still, you feel for that dad in that moment. Yeah. It definitely hit me harder now mm. as an adult and as a father than it did as a kid. Yeah. You know, because when you're a kid, you identify with the kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, we know. I mean, we all know he's going to be fine. He's on the he's the main figure on the poster. <laughs> he's on the cover. We all yeah. know. We all know he's going to be fine. But it's not really until you were you live it where you're like, oh, I totally understand how he's feeling, or I understand how he would be feeling if I were put into that position where it would just it would just be the most awful thing in the world. Yeah. 
and it definitely hit me harder now as a father than it did as a kid. I would agree with you. That was one of the kind of points I was probably going to mention later, but just bringing it up now is, you know, even though I'm not a father right now, right. because I'm older, I, I associate with the dad more. Yeah. And I got those moments and I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, I just, I hit that hit me so much differently than it did as a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good, well put. Which I think is, is a mark of good storytelling. Mm hmm. On the, on the case, especially when it comes to children's movies, if you can affect the child and the adult, you know, and, and doesn't even have to be in the same way in different ways, I think that yeah. means good storytelling is happening. Definitely. Uh, all right. So as the family goes to New York and they kind of depressingly check in at immigration, um, we see Feifel was able to stow away in a glass bottle and he floated to the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and we meet this French pigeon uh, named Henri. Uh, played by Christopher Plummer, who we know from Sound of Music. Um, lots of stuff. Hell, we just talked about him a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, I can't even remember what it was off the top of my head. <laughs> but we talked about him. Yeah. And uh, But he sees him. He helps him out. And uh, he tells him, you know, about, oh, d- never say never, Feifel. And we get a cute little song all about that. Never say never, whatever you do. Never say never, my friend. If you believe that your dreams will come true, they'll come true in the end. I think this is the song I remember the most. Oh, okay. Maybe. I definitely I definitely remembered a lot about this song. This, yeah, this this song and the songs in general were very memorable to me. Um, but this one was really cute. It was well sung. You know, it had a catchy little beat to it. Never say never again. Uh, it, it was good. Yeah, it was a solid song. And honestly, most of watching this movie up until this point, I was like, okay, yeah, I, m- I remember most of the stuff. Then this song started. I was like, yes. <laughs> now the nostalgia is flooding to me. And it yeah. was started off with, with the songs. I, I made both of my children watch this with me mm-hmm. when I watched it. And it was funny as and I'd never th- I didn't think anything of it. I'm watching the scene and my my son goes, "Dad, why is the statue of liberty gold?" <laughs> and I had to explain to him that yeah. when it was given to us, it was made of bronze mm-hmm. and it was kind of a golden color. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't until, you know, years of oxidation happened where it turned green. Mm-hmm. So it was not given to us green, it was given to us bronze. I'm kind of surprised he didn't ask, "Dad, why was the Statue of Liberty built by pigeons? Because <laughs> Henri is like putting it together, which is kind of funny. Yeah. No, I, I think he, I think he understood. I think he understood the uh, the the building craftsmanship that only yeah. pigeons have. Yes. The, yeah. Well, I mean that's that's why they're all over New York. They have their own union. Yeah. Everyone's got a damn union. <laughs> uh, so one of the pigeons with Henri flies Feifel to immigration. And we kind of see that area. We see we meet this character, Warren T. Rat, who is voiced by John Finnegan. And I kind of forgot to check out what else he did. Um, we also meet his sidekick, uh, Cockroach, named Digit, who is kind of his helper accountant. And the way Digit speaks and his voice is just something that I fully remembered. You know, oh, yeah. like the way that he made his little sounds and like, but I can't even fucking do it, but like, he was he was awesome. Well, let's see. Uh, seven nine four six carry one drop two. Uh, take five five down seven up ninety eight point six yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. point eight point nine. Two he was. I, I always remember enjoying the digit cockroach when I was younger. Uh, but we we see pretty early on that Warren T. Rat is kind of like this. You know, he's a scammer. 
con artist kind of guy, and he sees Feifel, and he wants to use him for something. By the way, the guy who voiced Digit, his name was Will Ryan, and we've actually talked about him because he did the voice of Petrie in The Land Before Time. Oh, that makes so much more sense because it, it was a very similar <laughs> yeah, style. Yeah, it's a very similar style. Yeah. Okay. And he was great as Petrie. Yeah. So uh, awesome. Okay. I'm glad that they, uh, they he was in both of those. That makes sense. So both of them obviously done done Bluth Productions. Yeah. And he's got a ton of, uh, of voice acting credits. He worked right up until like 2015. Okay. So he was doing voice stuff for nice. a long time. Very cool. Uh, so this warranty rat kind of corners this guy. He sees Feifel, and basically he tells him that, you know, he can help him uh, find his family. You know, but really he just wants to wants to use him for something, which we don't really know yet. The sister in the family, she, we kind of get cutbacks to her every now and then, and she feels that Feifel is still alive. Uh, but the parents have fully lost hope. I mean, granted, yeah. the dad saw his kid go out into the ocean. Yeah. I would probably think the same thing Yeah, if it was me. But like the sister, no, she's got the hope. It's that optimism of youth. Yeah. That I I feel like we all lose mm-hmm. once we get older and uh, grizzled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but us as an audience here, we see, you know, that they're even they're in the same building. They just yeah. had the camera just kind of like comes down and, you know, in just a couple floors lower is uh, Feifel coming in with, with Warranty Rat here. There's a lot of them crossing, crossing just missing each other, crossing yeah. paths. And it was funny because every time that happened, my daughter would go, oh, come on, <laughs> like every single time. That is funny. But it did. It did happen a lot, and it actually went kind of really well because all of it, yeah. see, New York is a big-ass city, you know, even back in that day. You know, but at the same time, even if it's not, like, you can pass people so quickly and not notice. You don't have, you look left and not right. Right. You know, and, and you just happen to not find your family that day. Warren drops off Feifel at this sewing shop. Basically, he throws him into, like, this forced labor group of kids. This kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's like, uh, whatever. And we meet this guy named Tony. Wait a minute. This kid might have something. Tony Topponi is the name. Put it there, uh... Tony's like this, I don't know, New York kid from the streets kind yeah. of thing. It's kind of like a character. Yeah. Feifel, though, immediately is like, no, we're just going to tie our freaking sheets together and <laughs> you're going to leave. Like, he, he leaves that I forgot that how fast Feifel's like, what? no, we're, yeah. we're getting out of here. What the <laughs> yeah. hell are you talking about? He doesn't sew one fucking thing at the sweatshop. He no. doesn't do anything. He's just like, no, we're, I'm out of here, Holmes. <laughs> and he does, and, and uh, he's able to escape, and I think Tony uses that as well. Um, but right now, he kind of goes real fast, and so Feifel's out. Now he's out on his own on the streets of New York. It's kind of sad. He's obviously missing his family. At one point, he even hears this other Feifel name, and he says, oh, wait, wait, they're looking for me? And it's some other Feifel, and he's just like, oh, man, it's just just fucking sad, man. <laughs> you know, reminiscent of uh, similar enough with Lamb Before Time when he... He thinks he sees his mom. Yes, he thinks he's... I mean, that one... Now, that one's way harsher. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> just, that one hits you real bad. You know, but similar here. here he's, he hears a violin. He thinks it's going to be his father, but it's not. Uh, it's a recording on a phonograph. And we get a kind of, you know, a humorous little thing of him kind of falling into that record player or whatever that is. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, into the, the speaker part of it. And, um, you know, we hear a human woman, woman going, oh, my God, it's a mouse <laughs> uh, in New York talk or whatever. <laughs> right. and, and she's throwing shit at him. I think at one time I saw she even threw like a bustier at him. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, and Feifel kind of ends up running into Tony um, and you know, kind of will we'll decide to stick with him for a little bit. The, the sister cut back to her. She's still being very hopeful. And we see, honestly, she's very hopeful. And we see one of those oh man moments. Feifel and Tony are like right beside them. And they just 
they, they're not hearing his voice or they didn't they just didn't catch him but uh we see that tony is infatuated with this lady mouse named bridget if we all got together we could do something about the cats yeah they fall in love like super quick yeah kind of have a random kiss but like he's super super into her nothing really crazy there but um fife will be in in around town he's talking about there's no mice around there's no cats around because it's america and we see all these other mice scurry around and i was like what What are y'all worried about there's no cats this is america and a cat walks up and attacks (laughs) and so i was like oh shit you know this is this is not the case here i definitely remembered this scene too in that He's talking, he's standing on something and you hear him talk about it. And all of a sudden, like a claw comes around the Mm. box that he's standing Mm -hmm. in. And like, just like out of the shadows, like it had been morphed into the scenery and it was revealing itself. And that really kind of clicked my sort of nostalgia button uh, when that happened. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, the look of the cats, they're very, I mean, they're the same kind of look from the Russian cats. They just didn't have the little Russian hats on, <laughs> but, uh, but they were good and scary. Uh, but of course, you know, they survived this attack and Bridget tells Feifel that he should go check out honest John. He might know him. He's a popular enough guy in town. They go and do that. And honest John was voiced by Neil Ross. Oh, poor lad. So young. He never had a chance to vote. Well, He'll vote from now on. I can't remember what else he done, but he had a somewhat recognizable voice to me. Uh, it was kind of funny when he, when we meet him, and he's just a, like a fall-down drunk. Uh, but we also meet this other character, Gussie Mouseheimer. Today was the worst ever. Those cats are killing everyone. They don't even know the difference between rich and poor. Who was voiced by Madeline Kahn, who... Mm. We've definitely heard of before. She was. We've seen her in Clue, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, and her voice is very specific to me. I hear it and I, yeah. I pick it out. And she is kind of doing a pseudo caricature of her Lily von Stoop from Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that in there, yeah. like the way her she has her speech impediment and that sort of thing. I can see that. So it, it, they, I think they kind of took that as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. For how she was going to speak, because she definitely has a lot of that. I can see that, but she's apparently like a big, she's a rich mouse in town, Mm -hmm. and Honest John is kind of like, I guess, just a popular, influential mouse in town, and they kind of talk that they need to get a big mouse rally to discuss this cat problem and, and how to fix it. That night, we get the most iconic song from this movie, uh, Feifel, you know, is out thinking about his family, and he starts singing Somewhere Out There. His sister jumps in and sings with it, too. It's almost a duet. Yeah, Uh, it is a duet. Yeah, it's a pretty song. Now, what I thought was funny when I was listening to it, I'm like, you know, if this was like a modern Disney song, they would be using 
two totally different voice actors who can sing and it would be like this perfect version of the song yeah. and it would sound like just absolute just you know tonally perfection yeah but the way that they had it like they were not perfect singers no they they sounded like regular kids singing and honestly i thought it was really nice i kind of really liked it because it wasn't overly perfect it was like you know they were two siblings actually singing as opposed to two grown adults singing as kids who actually know how to who have perfect pitch yeah it, uh, it, i think it was a little bit of a nice change mm-hmm. i do at the I do remember at the end of that song, my wife had just walked in. She goes, well, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not a great song. Well, it's a really it's great a, it's song. It's a great song. It was not sung perfectly. Like yes. The kids, uh, the kids wavered a, a good bit in, on their pitch, and um, they were flat in some places and yeah. stuff like that. Which was the point. Yeah. And when they sang together, I was, I was expecting harmony, but really they were just singing in unison the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Which... You know what? If you have two kids who can't sing harmony, just get them to sing in unison as best you can, and that's mm-hmm. likely what happened. And I thought I remembered, like in my head, I was like, "Oh, they're, they're going to go into harmony." I was like, "Oh no, they don't." <laughs> but it was actually it was kind of a, a nice change from sort of like the honestly the Disney perfection yeah. that we're used to. Yeah, um, which you know you do get a much better version later from some artists who sing really big. But like whenever people think of somewhere out there, they think you know it's a big grand well-sung song and you go back and watch it and listen to it and you're like oh wait nope <laughs> it is not uh so at the at the mouse rally gussie you know she she wants freedom from these cats she's talking about that and you know we also we see the mousequits family is even there and i love there's one line that i think i think it was gussie that says she's like you know are we are we men or are we mice and everyone's like mice you know because it's just (laughs) funny because that's exactly the opposite of how we would say it because we're men and fifle thinks of a good idea and she ends up telling gussie and so the whole plan here is that they're going to do you know they're going to make some plan it's going to be something big it's going to be a big plan it's going to be the best plan you've ever had (laughs) (laughs) they're going to build a wall around the cats that was a terrible version of that was a terrible trump but uh but they've got a big plan and um you know, they're going to need a lot of mice to help with it. So uh, so with whatever this plan is, Tony and Fifel are late getting there. And Tony is like too super eager because uh, he wants to go see Bridget. And so he like bolts and Fifel gets kind of left alone. And then he hears a violin and he's like, oh, shit, it's Papa. I got to go find him. Uh, and so he starts heading towards the sewer. But instead of finding Papa or anything else, he finds this big cat hangout. Mm-hmm. where all these people are um we meet tiger very briefly we just kind of see him there who's someone that we'll talk about in a second uh we see that their boss warranty rat who was a rat we thought oh no he's a cat must have been a really small cat yeah to, yeah <laughs> to pull off being a rat but uh he's he sees fifle who had just kind of you know seen him taking off his rat attire and there's a whole chase scene and we think i, I do like how it you know at the end we think Fifel gets away, and then just out of like nowhere, this cat paw grabs him, and he's caught. Uh, at the pier, we see you know that the plan uh, to get rid of the cats is kind of starting to come together, uh, which they're going to unleash a secret weapon uh, that <laughs> Madeline Kahn keeps saying it that way. Uh, but they're going to they're ho- they're going to release this weapon that's going to push cats onto this boat that's leaving. Uh, so that's their entire plan. Uh, in his cage, Fifel meets Tiger who's on guard duty. Tiger's kind of, uh, immediately we notice 
different than the other cats. You know, he seems sympathetic. He seems nice to Feifel. Um, apparently, he's a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a nice guy. And we get an entire song about Tiger and Feifel uh, having a bunch in common and them being a duo. We're friends and that's what friends are for. We're a duo, a duo, a pair of lonely ones who were meant to be a duo, a duo. It's true, if we're ever in a stew, we know we can make it through, cause you've got me and I. really started to notice especially this time around a lot of these characters are really kind of caricatures of other already existing characters in other movies mm. you know we talked about with madeline khan's character she's kind of just a character of one she'd already done you know in blazing saddles uh tiger really is very much like uh, the cowardly lion oh, in yeah. wizard of oz in doing my research the uh, actor who played papa got that role because he pretty much played the exact same thing uh, in the movie Yentl, where he played Barbara Streisand's father. Oh, okay. Uh, A lot of this were like, well, we need this type of character. Let's just get this person who's done (laughs) stuff like this. Yeah. Um, Granted, you know, Dom DeLuise did not do the Cowardly Lion, but he has a very unique voice that goes a lot like that. Yes. Has sort of the same sort of cadence in the way he talks, so I can can see why they do that. Um, I was just kind of looking up stuff. The guy who played Warranty Rat got the job by coming in and reading Shakespeare as a Brooklyn taxi driver. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why, which is actually why his character reads all... He, he's constantly misquoting Shakespeare, yeah, Shakespeare because they liked how he did it, so they kind of made the rat well, sort of like an, an illiterate who, who yeah, thought he, he, was, think, well, he was like pretentious and thought he knew yeah. all this stuff, and he keeps misquoting all this stuff. I like stuff. that. That's cool. That's a good way to put that. Uh, all right, so after the song, Feifel gets away... Because, uh, you know, Tiger let him out, obviously, to sing with him. Uh, and Tiger gets fired. And uh, the cats chase Feifel, uh, you know, who's heading to the pier right now. So, you know, so there's a whole kind of chase scene down to that. We all, Simultaneously, we also see that the secret weapon that they were prepping, it's too early. Because they're waiting for this boat to get going. And so, but it gets started now because Feifel sends them down there. But, uh, you know, because of all this... Warranty Rat gets outed as a cat in front of all the different mice. Warren sets the building on fire that they're on in the pier. Luckily, now is the time, though, we hear the boat whistle going on. So now's the time to release the secret weapon. Again, we also see the Mousequits family is there, and they're mm-hmm. helping out with this. Uh, but, you know, we need the help of Fifel to get it released, and it and it is. And what it is is it's a giant, scary, mouse-like thing. Uh, it is the giant mouse from Minsk. Yeah, uh, that story that we kind of heard at the beginning, which I like that they pull that in together. Yeah, that is good writing. Uh, it's got fireworks that they're shooting off at the cats to scare them even more, uh, trying to all push them towards the the water slash this boat that's leaving. So, you know, which it does, and then you know we get everybody singing together uh, with that. So the cats are done; they're off. They're off on that boat, but the pier is on fire, so everyone's got to escape. Of course, Feifel is lost in this mm-hmm. escape, and he's kind of stuck there. Tanya, the sister, hears the yelling for Philly Mouskowitz, and she's like, huh, Mouskowitz, that's our last name. I wonder what's up. And they run into Tony, who now things are coming together. They're like, oh, yeah, no, his name is Philly and Feifel. Tony is, I really didn't care for Tony. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Tony was just kind of an annoying character to me. Character to me. But um, So now Tony and everybody else is kind of 
they're meeting up all right. of all of Feifel's family and the people that he's been meeting. Um, but we see uh, they also find also the hat honestly. Right, and up until that point, the father is still in denial. It's like, yeah. no, this is this can't be Feifel. Feifel's gone. I know he's gone. And despite all this other things, until finally the mother turns around and is like, no, it's him, and shows him the hat. Yeah. So he's among the fire. He's kind of trapped, and he ends up getting uh, washed away by you know the firefighters who are blowing the big water to to put that away Mm -hmm. and he's kind of put into a kind of a sewer-ish area and he wakes up with this random orphan group uh there's a whole like almost little orphan town and i think they were they were kids from the uh from the sweatshop oh so i guess they're i recognize one of the voices from there i think the ones who had escaped okay so he's back kind of with those kids um, and it's another low, another sad moment for Feifel. Again, he was he was so close, but I'm just saying. But at least as an audience, we know that you know the the family is still out there, yeah. and then that they know they know that he knows. Sorry, at least as an audience, we know that his family knows that he's out there. Yes. So as opposed to you know the father and them not being sure, they know. So it's gonna be okay. Uh, in the morning, Feifel hears his name being called, and he hears a violin as the family and all the friends are. Kind of being, they're riding on Tiger, searching for him. Feifel is so disillusioned from this entire ordeal that he's yeah. been doing. At first, you know, he just doesn't really give a shit. But then he hears his papa's voice, and he calls back. And Papa and Feifel are calling each other, and they emotionally reunite, and they have this gigantic hug. Papa. Five. Wait! Stop! Five. And at this point, just because of how perfect it was going at this moment. It also had a different look to it. It almost had like, there's almost like a softness to the edges of the animation uh-huh. at this point where I was like, oh fuck, is this a dream? <laughs> it, it felt like a dream. But at the same time, I was getting pretty emotional. Yeah. Their reunion was super emotional just because the emotion you heard yeah. from Papa screaming for his son. Yeah. It, it was actually starting to get to me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. No, it was. It was super emotional. It was super powerful. And, you know, it, it hits you differently now as an adult. And we mentioned mm-hmm. that before, but it's, it's, it couldn't be more true. I, I don't know. Are we ready to go into final thoughts? Uh, uh, or we almost. have to wrap up a few things? Let, let me wrap up a few things. I do want to just call out, like, it's just, it really, really felt like a dream at this point. Yeah. Because the look seemed a little bit different. Uh, they even put the hat back on Feifel and it fits all of a sudden now. And yeah. I was like, this is all just a little too... Correct. I don't. I don't get this. And then, and then, out of nowhere, they're flying on Henri and other pigeons. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we just went from like them reuniting to immediately they're flying. This has got to be some kind of fucking dream sequence. <laughs> but it wasn't. They fly by the Statue of Liberty, which winks at Feifel. <laughs> kind of <laughs> funny. Was weird. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Henri kind of tells them, oh, there's even more America over here. And they allude. Honestly, they even kind of allude to another Feifel movie. So I'm curious right. if they knew they were going to be doing another one as they all say goodbye to the statue of liberty they kind of wave goodbye to her and they kind of symbolically waves goodbye to us it's the end of the mm-hmm. film so i'm i'm glad all of that wasn't a dream sequence but part of me wants to like 
start up a fan theory that Fifel actually died and uh, this is his last like dream of us of him getting together as he's going to heaven or some shit like that okay how about that how do you explain the other like three or four movies that happened after this um <laughs> fuck you it, uh, <laughs> you know that's all all right uh, shrooms enough. how about that there the dad go. is on shrooms and he assumed his kid went to the west and shit like that oh that would be interesting yeah I wonder if the movie would support that. I have not watched that sequel in a long time. <laughs> so if I could figure it out. But uh, the credits roll on images of New York and a version of Somewhere Out There plays at the end, uh, which was sung by Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram. So, all right, let's do our final thoughts if you okay. want to go to that. Uh, I was actually kind of ready to be bored by this movie, mm-hmm. and I really wasn't. Um, it's a, you know, it's an it's an hour and twenty minutes, so it's not terribly long. Um, it moved a lot faster in places where I thought it wasn't going to, mm-hmm. so um, I didn't have as hard of a time. It, there were still a few slow things, but I think a lot of those animated movies from the eighties kind of had that problem a little bit. But it definitely hit me emotionally different this time um <laughs> this uh kind of throwback to something with my daughter the thing annoying her about the movie was that the family was always mm. missing each other the thing that annoyed my son about the movie was that five was constantly leaving his hat places and then miraculously it would show up <laughs> in oh, his hand or man. on his head and like in the next that scene. kid that kid likes continuity <laughs> i like that i can appreciate that because he would drop it and then he would have it, or he wouldn't have it. Often, there were scenes where you would, if you looked, you would notice that Fievel would tuck his hat in his belt mm-hmm. in the back, and sometimes it would be there. But there was there was at least a couple times where I caught where he dropped the hat uh-huh. and didn't seem to pick it up, and then all of a sudden it was in his hand later or, uh. or, or on his head or something like that. So that <laughs> that did get him. I believe they both enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't asked me if there was a sequel, but we we watched it fairly recently, so and we've been on a little bit of a trek. So, by the way, this is actually we were recording this episode in the same room, yeah, which uh, has not happened for a while. Yeah, uh, the last time we recorded together was probably eight months ago, something like that. I think didn't we record together right before I moved out to Georgia? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it was a long time ago, but it is it's nice to be back in the same room as you, John. Yes, <laughs> which is we're in a weird room. Yeah, that's, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, we're in we're in we're at my in laws' place. Yeah, in and we're in the bedroom of one of my sister in laws uh, from when she grew up, and it's kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that being aside, <laughs> I kind of had a similar experience with you. I thought this was honestly a wonderful little cute children's story to watch. I think the animation holds up. It's good. You know, typically that Don Bluth animation does hold up. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. For me, the most memorable parts were the songs. You know, I remembered some of the other portions of the film, but basically when every single song came up, I was like, oh yeah, that's (laughs) the thing for me. So in general, I was very pleased. You know, I, I was expecting to kind of be disappointed with this one similarly to how you were or how you said you were going, you were thinking about that. And then when I watched it, I was 
pleased. I enjoyed getting yeah. that new type of emotion with the film, and I would be super happy to show it to any kid. Yeah. I, it's definitely not one I think I would go back to watch by myself. Um, I would, uh, you know, if my kids wanted to watch it again, I'd probably sit through it again, but uh, it was a pleasant surprise to go back to. Yeah. All right. So that was our breakdown of American Tale. All right, now we are going to review Pinky and the Brain that aired on 19 from 1995 to 1998, a total of 66 episodes, but this duo actually uh, first appeared in 1993 as a reoccurring skit on the show Animaniacs, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. We haven't actually talked about Animaniacs yeah. yet. We're jumping straight to Pinky and the Brain, but whatever. We'll get to that when we get to it. Um, but yeah, they obviously spinned off into their own series. And they even had another series after this that was called Pinky and the Brain and Elmira. That, oh. that brought in Elmira from Tiny Toons into their world. Interesting. As Yeah, as their owner. She became their owner. And okay. then they were her pets. Uh, yeah, so that was way later. Than, actually, I got a little story about that later. But um, anyway, similar to American Tale and Animaniacs, this was executive produced by Steven Spielberg. He must have had a my, mouse fetish. I don't know what was <laughs> up with this guy, why he adored mice so much, but he did. And it had to be animated mice for him, apparently. Yes. But we're thankful because uh, he gave us these classics. Yeah, that they are. Um, so the voice acting in this show is fan-fucking-tastic. Mm-hmm. All right, this one starred Maurice LaMarche as Brain. You have the IQ of a deck chair. Uh, we know him from Futurama. He was Yosemite Sam in a lot of different things. Uh, we also talked about him. He played Egon in the real Ghostbusters. But he is just a shit ton of credits. Yeah. Uh, similarly, Rob Paulson, who we've talked about uh, feel like a hundred times you know he's probably our second most talked about voice guy <laughs> after the man the myth the legend frank welker um but rob paulson did pinky Bang, zoom, right in the uh, he was in animaniacs as uh yakko uh teenage mutant Ninja turtles as i think donatello he was original in the original series he was Raphael, uh-huh and then they brought him back in the most recent iteration of the cartoon, okay, or the or the one that ran from 2012 to 2017, he was Donatello. Don, okay, and that one, so he's done both. Yeah, but he was also in Dexter's Lab, and I remember him also as Hydro Man in the Spider Man, the animated show from the 90s as well. But he, Rob Paulson, has literally like a shit ton of like a, I don't know what a metric shit ton is, <laughs> but it, it's equal to Rob Paulson's voice acting credits. Yes. So, uh, and then tons of other unstoppable voice artists were that we've actually already mentioned in this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, not this episode, but in, just in general that we're on this one. The first one I got to bring up, of course, Frank Welker. Yep. He did multiple voices for this show. Tress McNeil, Billy West, Jim Cummings, Jess Harnell, uh, Townsend Coleman, and many, many others, um, you know, lent their voices to this show. Mm-hmm. So, um, Did you watch the episode that had Pinky in the Brain and Larry? I read a little bit about it, but I did not watch it. All right, that's the, that's the one where uh, Billy West plays, basically plays uh, Larry from uh, The Three Sooges uh-huh. as a mouse. Nice. Which is hilarious because that's um, 
that's one of the, one of those voice. I forget which voice he did that where he based it on that. Okay. I think it was one of the Futurama voices. I can't remember. Yeah, but he does like half of the Futurama. <laughs> that's true. Between him and Maurice LaMarche, it's pr- that's pretty much Futurama. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But um so this show was all about two genetically modified mice that share a cage in a place called Acme Labs. And Brain, he looks and sounds a lot like Orson Welles, um, which John and I first probably heard the Maurice LaMarche Orson Welles voice from the show The Critic. Yes. <laughs> and his frozen peas commercial, <laughs> which apparently is a real commercial that Orson Welles like flipped out on and had yes. some like crazy shit from, which I've never seen that, but I need to go find that. Yeah, I haven't either, but I've heard I've heard uh, on a couple of podcasts, I've listened to Maurice talk about that story. Uh-huh. And I, I met him at a con once. Uh, he was doing some signings. And uh, if you hit the lines on the cons at the right time, there'll be nobody in line. Mm-hmm. And I basically walked right up to his table and I was too scared to ask him anything. I just asked him for a photo and then uh-huh. I was like, thank you, sir. And I walked away and I'm like, oh, yeah. The opportunity, yeah, especially because no one else was bugging him at the time. Yeah, there, I, there may, there might have been a couple of people like behind me or something yeah. like that. But I was just like, I don't want to bother this man. I'm sure he's heard everything, and I'm sure he appreciates it. I'm sure they appreciate it when they tell you, you know, how much you mean to them, to their, to your, your childhood and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But you know, after a while, I'm sure they just become numb to it. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't want to bother him with more, you know, BS stories. You're just another nerd. I'm just another nerd <laughs> asking for a picture. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Yes. Uh, But Brain, you know, he's a genius uh, who wanted to take over the world. And very famously, you get that line every single episode. What are we going to do tomorrow night? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Pinky is an extremely unstable and kind of hyperactive mouse, Mm -hmm. I would say. He's uh, almost a bumbling idiot type. But not exactly, but, but basically. Yeah. Um, and he has, I like, he's got very, he's got multiple verbal tics. <laughs> or other little, like, point! Like, other just stupid little <laughs> things that he would say at yeah. random time. Uh, that would be funny. One of the things that, you know, I can't go too long without bringing up is the theme song. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. An laboratory mice. It is so simple, honestly. It's simple, but it's so good. It was, uh, that theme song was composed by a guy named Richard Stone, who also apparently did the theme songs for Animaniacs, Freakazoid, and Tasmania. Mm -hmm. So some other good ones under his belt as well. Did they use that part of that theme song in Animaniacs? I don't remember. And I, I, I want to say, like, maybe it started there, yeah. and then they just further developed it. Probably. But I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I mean, the crew for the two shows were exactly the same, pretty yeah. much. So I wouldn't be shocked if it did. Uh, and then the lyrics were written by a guy named Tom Ruger. He was on the writing team for this show, as well as Animaniacs, Freakazoid, and Tiny Toon Adventures. Mm-hmm. So the bulk of the episodes were... Uh, drawn and produced by a company called Rough Draft Studios. And I was just kind of looking through what all they did, what that animation company did. They are just tons of stuff. Simpsons, Ren and Stimpy, Beavis and Butthead, The Critic, Rocco's Modern Life, Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, Phineas and Ferb. I looked at like the credits of what they do as an animation 
uh, group, and it's mm-hmm. just like shit. It's like just tons of everything. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. One thing I liked about this show is that similar to Animaniacs, the humor wasn't strictly pointed to kids. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that went above their heads and was for. Uh, adult audiences which is something that why rewatching it i mm-hmm. thought it was pretty enjoyable for that yeah I, you know i wonder if we, with good cartoons i think that if you spend more time focusing on the adult the jokes the adults get the kids are going to enjoy the the silliness of it anyway mm-hmm. i mean it's it's two mice who can talk yeah <laughs> you know all kinds of craziness is, is already going to ensue so if you if you kind of focus a lot of the jokes towards the adults the kids are going to get something out of it anyway, and the adults are, are going to get uh, a lot more out of it. And I think if you can make the adults enjoy the show, they're much more likely to let their kids mm-hmm. watch a show. So I think yeah. I think that's smart on their part. I agree. Uh, this show won two Emmys, uh, one for Outstanding Special Class Animated Program, and then also one for Outstanding Performer uh, in an Animated Program for Rob Paulson. Uh, okay, so here's here's my little story about the uh, spinoff that they had later. Yeah. So apparently WB was giving them increased pressure to include more characters in the show. Eventually, it got pushed and retooled to this show called Pinky, Elmira, and the Brain. J-Brain, what do you want to do today? The same thing we do every day, Pinky. Endure Elmira, then try to take over the world. <laughs> the situation's changed for Pinky and the Brain. No laboratory alone in the rain. And someone's looking round for where they might be found. It's Pinky for Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. In which Pinky and the Brain were owned by the Tiny Student Adventures character Elmira Duff, which that kind of strange change that they added that character and mm-hmm. the, just the change in the format. They even altered the title, the theme song, a little bit, where it had lyrics like "It's what the network wants. Why bother to complain?" So Pinky and the Brain share a new domain. It's what the network wants. Why bother to complain? The Earth remains alone. Right. <laughs> That's my bother to complain. Just fucking do it. But yeah, she is uh, uh, just a random character. I, I, I never really liked her as a character on Tiny Toons, and they can save that for a discussion on Tiny Toons. But yeah. the show only lasted 13 episodes with her. So. Okay. Uh, oh, and from what I remember reading, that episode that they did with the Larry one mm-hmm. that they wrote because they were starting to get that pressure from the WB and from like the network or heads yeah. or whatever to be like, Hey, you need to add more characters. So it's not just pinky in the brain. And they added the one with Larry and be like, see, it's not the same if you have another person <laughs> in there, you know? Uh, but anyway, apparently pinky in the brain, they will be rebooted in the new Animaniac show Okay, that will be scheduled to be on Hulu in 2020. I don't think they're going to get their own show, but they're going to be part of Animaniacs. That's fine. I, I mean, as much as I'd like to see them get their own show, I'm just happy they're coming back in, in that mm-hmm. iteration. To be fair, it's not really like, you know, Maurice and Rob Paulson need more work. I That's a horrible thing to say because I, <laughs> I want them to work as much yes. as, they, as they need to. Yes. It's awesome that they're... They're doing this. And um, even though we're not really talking about Animaniacs, I've mentioned this book before. Rob Paulson wrote a sort of a little memoir about his, his specifically about his time getting throat cancer, but he talks about his early career in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't recommend enough. And he talks about how long this reboot has been ongoing. Um, part of it was they waited for him. Oh. Part of it was they had to wait for him 
because they he had to go through his all yeah. his throat cancer or stuff like that. And it was like right right when he was diagnosed was when they said, okay, right now we're a, like a tentative green light. We're we're waiting on Stephen and you know the higher ups mm-hmm. to decide when we're going to go. So uh, it's a fascinating read or listen. Actually, it's a good listen too because it's he, Rob Paulson narrates the book. He does all of his voices and stuff in it anyway. So you're mm-hmm. you're honestly you're better off. You get more <laughs> out of listening to the audiobook than I think you would actually reading the book. Right. Personally, that's just my opinion of it. So I got one other thing I do want to bring up about the show is that there was a really interesting theory on Cracked that I liked that what if Pinky was secretly the smart one and Brain was the idiot the entire time. So, you know, despite, you know, what their names and the size of their heads would suggest, the the theory is based on the fact that the show's theme song says one is a genius and the other is insane. But they specifically don't say which one's which. Yeah. You know, they also say it's Pinky in the brain. So one's a genius, Pinky, he's first. The other's insane, brain second, maybe. But why I think it's possible is because most of the episodes go through something similar like this. Brain comes up with an insane plan to take over the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. a legitimate, like a ridiculous plan to come up to take over the world. At some point, Pinky makes like a very relevant basic observation as to why it won't work and he does it and then brain ignores it and says shut up pinky we're doing it and then of course pinky turns out to be right <laughs> so you know and then the plan fails honestly trying to take over the world is an insane plan in its own right so right. you know he might be the insane one for it and then pinky is just kind of like you know maybe he just quote unquote plays dumb because it doesn't say that one is dumb. It just says that one's a genius, one is insane. So what if he's the genius, but he's just kind of playing dumb and keeping an eye on Pinky, or keeping an eye on the brain, so that way his insane plans don't come to fruition. What do you think about that? I think it's an interesting theory, and it's definitely a fun way to look yeah. uh-huh. to look at the show. Um, I'm not sure that was what they intended, but yeah. I'm okay with that. I, that idea any either way. Do you have any other uh, comments other than our final thoughts on Pinky and the Brain? No, I'm ready to dive into final thoughts. Okay, uh, I'll go first. Okay. We kind of brought up all this stuff. I watched only two episodes, but I enjoyed them. You know, the voice acting is so strong. The animation is very good. The writing is really good. The humor is something I'm appreciating as an adult. Mm. Um, The only problem was I was watching it where I didn't have the best internet, so it was kind of very choppy, where I kind of want to go back and rewatch it. I think I would enjoy rewatching this show like pretty much fully so i was very pleased with pinky the brain and i would probably recommend if anybody has an idea of wanting to go rewatch it you probably would want to go watch animaniacs as well just a guess or wait until we do it and then we'll tell you if it's actually worth it uh but for pinky the brain at least for me i will would gladly go back and rewatch it i watched quite a few episodes actually i enjoyed it um I did watch some of the episodes with my son and daughter. They've both watched the series probably mm-hmm. all the way through once already. I think they they were kind of like, I've already watched all these, so they didn't yeah. need to see them again <laughs> because they, I mean, they went through their Animaniacs phase and stuff like that. And especially mm-hmm. when, I, when it made it back onto Hulu, mm-hmm. they watched a, a lot of these episodes on their own anyway. So I really did enjoy it. Yeah, yep. I went back. I, I enjoyed the humor. I, I like that, that they had jokes that were catered to adults that kept me engaged and stuff like that. I like that there's basically like every episode is basically two episodes, like two 15 minute mm-hmm. stories. Um, and, you know, it's it's very sort of sort of episodic. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no thrill through line through any of it. So it makes it easy to just to watch any episode and just jump right in. I agree. That's our review of Pink in the Brain.
This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Boring Restaurants versus Chuck E. Cheese's. You can wait for the waitress or play cool games. Wait for their food. Or eat a pizza. You can wait and wait and wait. I should have said Chuck E. Cheese, please. Yeah, remember Chuck E. Cheese, please. It's the restaurant where a kid can be a kid. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we're going to put the X in this episode with X Factor. Um, I'm excited to do this one, actually. Um, X Factor was a comic that I did uh, read sort of on and off uh, when I was a kid. Uh, There's one particular issue that my wife and I actually bonded over. Um, because she also had the same issue. Honestly, I forget the story of it, but I remember the cover was Storm yeah. and one of the characters, Forge, were kissing. Yeah, they're um, making out hard, honestly. Yeah, they're making out hard, because um, <laughs> Storm is my wife's favorite comic mm. book character of all time. Um, so she uh, definitely had that one. Uh, so X-Factor, I'll give you a little bit of a background on X-Factor. X-Factor was um, in the Marvel Universe, is sort of a government-sponsored team um, where they sort of used a lot of the secondary characters from the X-Men. And there were sort of two big iterations, sort of one in the 80s and one in the 90s, and then they've kind of used it sporadically since. We're going to kind of focus on the one from the 90s because that's the one that I'm most familiar with. Um, some of these characters, I believe, showed up in the X-Men animated series. I'll be honest with you, the the main guy that we're going to be casting is sort of like the reason why I wanted to do this yeah. one because I wanted to cast him anyway. Uh-huh. Um, so we're going to be doing the characters of Forge, Valerie Cooper, Havoc, Multiple Man, Polaris, Strong Guy, and Wolfsbane. Uh, there are other characters who are on the team, but they were ones who, uh, frankly, we have either already cast or have already appeared in sort of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. and we're kind of using that as our template mm-hmm. for a lot of these things. And if you know, if, if we could get an X Factor movie inside the MCU, we don't want to recast people who who are already in the MCU. Yeah. I will talk a little bit about each character as we go through. I'm not going to deep dive too much; just kind of give you an overview of the character, what their powers are, that sort of thing. All right, Adam, are you ready to start? I'm good to go. All right, well, let's start with the last character I mentioned, which is Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane is kind of an interesting character. Uh, she is a young, basically, she's a young woman who can turn into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. That's the simplest way, basically, putting it out. Uh, and the character, the actual character's name, I think, is like Rain Sinclair. I believe she's a young woman. She is Scottish. Okay. In the in the um, in the story, don't think I held that too much to heart although if you get a good enough actor they can yeah approximate approximate scottish uh why don't you go ahead and start us off sure so wolfsbane isn't technically in the mcu or a character that's been on screen yet but that's because they actually haven't gotten that uh new mutants show Mm -hmm. out yeah it kind of gets she was gonna be played by uh maisie williams Williams, i thought yeah which I put her down as a potential. I was like, do I want her? But then I thought, you know what? No, I think one of your Game of Thrones co-stars would be much better as Wolfsbane, especially having some of that Scottish stuff. I put Rose Leslie, who played Egret, Ooh. as my Wolfsbane. I think she would be perfect for it. Oh, that's a good call. That's a good call. Is she Scottish? 
or Irish? She might be. I think she's I think one she, of the two. She's I one think. of the two. Yeah. I do. I like her better. Mm. Uh, she's a little bit older. Yeah. But I mean, she's still got a very young look. She does. So I know I like that call. Cool. Uh, I like that call a lot. I went with honestly probably an actress you. I would be surprised if you know who she is. Earlier this year, I watched the Netflix series Sex Education, uh, which is sort of a British. Did you uh, Did you need to find some tips, John? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, book i got you for christmas last year is not helping no no <laughs> i soared through that book very yeah fast. okay uh-huh. uh no uh, just looked at the pictures you didn't yeah. actually read it <laughs> reading what is that i <laughs> know it was a series on netflix it was actually kind of a british series uh it starred i almost said hugo he played hugo as a butterfield uh, it stars as a butterfield uh gillian anderson uh if you watched x files yeah she was uh scully yeah she was who's I'm sorry. I have to just mention, she's beautiful. Yeah. And she's actually gotten even more beautiful with with, with some age, yes. too. And she is actually British. Okay. So, so I don't think a lot of people don't know that. Um, basically, he plays her daughter. She is a sex therapist. Mm-hmm. And it's sort oh, of the embarrassment yeah. okay. of having a mother who's who's good at sex. And I've seen clips of this. Yes. Yeah. It's actually a really funny show. I, I ended up watching the whole series, I think, when I was on my trip to Germany. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm hoping they do a second season. I haven't heard anything about it yet. Uh, but there is an actress who shows up later in the series who I really loved on this on this show, and I think she would also make a really good Wolf's game. Her name is Patricia Allison. Uh, she is British or she is English, not Scottish, to my knowledge. But we can either just make Wolfsbane English, or mm-hmm. if she can approximate a Scottish accent, that'll that'll work for me too. I just really liked her in this show, and I thought she would work well. Yeah, I've not seen anything that she's in, but she looks good. She looks like she, you know what? I, yeah, I, I like that. She's kind of got a very lean look, similar enough to yeah. how I went with as well. Yeah, uh, we didn't kind of go with the short, stumpy look of Maisie Williams. Not to say she's stumpy, <laughs> but she's she's got a different. She is she's shorter. And, she's shorter. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I think which is a little bit more comic. I think we went more comic accurate, both of us. Okay. So I'm cool with this. I, I think it's a good good call, and okay. I haven't seen sex. And ed. she's she's really kind of like not cocky, but sure of herself and sassy in the show. Okay. And it would be it would be a nice kind of attitude, I think, for for Wolfsbane to have. Okay. All right, and let let's go to strong guy. Strong guy is a very interesting look to him. Um, basically, he's just a big old dude. Yeah, he's a big old dude with a bald head, except for a little wisp of yeah, hair at the front. Yeah, and his body is sort of comically bigger than. It actually reminds me a little bit of how they drew um, uh, the kingpin in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, a li- he did a huge in that body. same vein, huge, very, very huge body, kind of small head type of thing. Strong guy's real name is Guido Carosella. So he's Italian family. He's Italian family. I'll jump into mine. I leaned into that. Mm. I saw this as a CG character because his body is comically bigger than the rest of him. It's not something yeah. where you can just get like a strong guy. Mm-hmm. Like he needs to look. He needs to look comic accurate for that look to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go with someone who's played some times. I went with a guy who's probably a little bit older, but you know what? They can CG some yeah, of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't one where I think he's going to be turning into and out of a, a character like the Hulk. He's just going to be yep. stronger the whole time. And this guy is a great actor. He's been in all kinds of things. I went with Joey Pants himself, Joey Pantoliano. Oh, Cypher. Yes. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He has that look, man. <laughs> yeah, he kind of does. Yeah, younger him actually is like a perfect look uh, to him. And yeah, you lean into the Italian... And, and for your take, totally cool with it, because he's going to be mostly 
voice acting and mm-hmm. you know motion capture motion capture yeah so uh great actor that guy can do pretty much whatever you want him to do so yeah um i very much approve of that one okay that's cool you yeah i'm sure you're gonna like that one better than mine i'm <laughs> kind of worried that you're not gonna like mine at all okay um, I went a little bit different route, didn't really lean into the Italian, but he could maybe, fuck it, let him be Italian. Um, <laughs> one thing that I thought was very interesting, I kind of, maybe I leaned too much on like the mostly bald part, <laughs> okay. but I found, so I found a bald actor, um, but someone who I noticed when I was kind of looking up the Wikipedia for Strong Guy, he's a very comedic person on the team, apparently. He, he kind of is, he's just, he's funny with everybody, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Apparently... Uh, what his body does, it absorbs kinetic energy okay. and turns it into physical strength. Okay. And so his body can like, you know, that's what's happening with why it's kind of has some distortion yeah. to it and things like that. But apparently it causes him pain when he does it. And his body is like constantly in pain. And so he kind of, to cope with that, he's the funny guy. Okay. The group. So I was like, okay, I went with bald. I wanted somebody who I think is very funny, but who I also know can act and be sensitive when he needs to. And he also is definitely, I also went with an older actor, older, and maybe not as old as, as Joey uh, Pantaleone, older than most of my other castings. I went with Donald Faison as my strong guy. Okay, that is interesting. Yeah, it's different. That is different. I don't want to hate it because yeah. I do love Donald Faison. I just don't see him in that role. So there's, there's obviously something that you see that I don't in yeah. that. And that's fair. Okay. And that's fair. I think I'd have to see it. Yeah. I'd have to see it to believe it, I think. Okay. All right, so let's go to Polaris. Now, Polaris has actually been on a show. They, uh, she was on The Gifted. To my knowledge, nobody watched that show. I sure as hell didn't. I didn't. Uh, I think my wife did just out of spite um, <laughs> and hated the show uh-huh. and continued to watch it out of spite. Polaris uh, basically has sort of elect- electromagnetic manipulation and flight, sort of sims, maybe a little bit similar to... Mm-hmm. Magneto. Yeah, I mean, she is Magneto's kid. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so, I mean, but she actually inherited kind of, like, his powers. I don't think she's to the level of Magneto, but she does have, like, basically his kind of power set. And I believe in the comics she was in a relationship with Havoc, who we'll talk about in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yep. I think it's Havoc. Yeah. Um, who's related to another X-Men, who we'll yes. talk about it later. Uh, so, Polaris, I just went with a, a girl who I thought kind of fit the look of Polaris, uh, who I already know was a good actor, and I know she can play uh, in a superhero mo- uh, or could play in a superhero movie because she's already on a superhero TV show. Even though she doesn't play a superhero per se, mm-hmm. um, I just I I think she's a quirky actress, and I think it'd be fun when she does serious stuff on the on that show. I I still enjoy it, uh, and I went with the actress Emily Bett Rickards, uh, who plays Felicity Smoke on the Arrow series. Okay, I have not seen any of Arrow. I have not seen any of anything that she's in. She has got a very like accurate comic accurate look to Polaris to me. If you dye her hair green, mm-hmm. she would be a, a, a perfect fit. Okay, so I, I like. I mean, I, I like that. If you want to go with that accurate, which I kind of try to as well. No, she looks good. Okay, it's solid, solid choice. And you know what? With her acting that she's done as Felicity Smoke, is that that's who you said? Yeah. I think that's probably is a perfect call. Okay, yeah. I'll take. I will take perfect call. Okay. Uh, all right. So for me, I went with an actress who kind of also is playing not really a superhero, but is playing uh, or has played a daughter of a 
Disney villain okay. in the made-for-TV movies The Descendants, which has been on uh, Disney, that they've had three you know, pretty popular movies mm-hmm. on that. I think she has dyed blue or purple hair in that in one of those shows and that kind of like in that and that made me kind of think oh she could do do green I'm sure um but she's you know young actress I think she would fit very well she's not too much younger maybe two years younger than yours Mm -hmm. Um, but I think she would uh could do a good job as well and she played a character named Evie in those movies Uh, I went with uh Sophia Carson as my Polaris so so she's been in that she's also been in Pretty Little Liars apparently as well Okay. Yeah, I've not really seen anything she's been in. She definitely looks like she could probably do it. I mean, she's about the right age. She's got a good, you know, superhero look. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an, I'll give you a tentative, it, tentative thumbs up. Okay, I'll take tentative thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> Yours is probably better, but I'm taking tentative thumbs up. Okay. Uh, just because I've never seen... Uh, oddly enough, my kids have not gotten into really hardly any of the live-action Disney stuff. Oh, okay. Hardly at all. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to Multiple Man. Um, we kind of see Multiple Man, I believe, in X3. Oh, yeah, we kind of do. I do remember seeing, yeah. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm just going to pretend like that one didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, we well, all they, predi- they kind of erased it from the yeah, timeline. So basically, uh, he can just make multiple copies of himself. That is basically his power. Adam, why don't you start us off with this one? Sure. Uh, Multiple Man is a pretty main character for X-Factor. I I think he might even become a leader down the line Mm -hmm. after Forge. So uh, I wanted an actor who is kind of an up-and-coming you know, guy, he's, uh, I was sticking to somewhat around a similar age to my Polaris and my Wolfsbane, probably not terribly old, but obviously good actors. This guy has been a lead in a very big Disney film recently. I actually didn't see it, but <laughs> I heard he was good. So I hope he would be good as my multiple man. I went with, uh, Mena Musa Masood. Masood, I'm not sure. I apologize for fucking that up, but he played Aladdin in the live action Aladdin that was out oh, recently. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I saw it. Okay. I actually, I didn't hate it. Okay. I didn't hate it. It was, it was definitely entertaining. Okay. Uh, so, I, you know, it, it wasn't as, as good as impactful as the original, but mm. I it, was, it had a very difficult... Yes, uh, you know, scale to be judged against. Yeah. So I, I think it was it was an uphill battle for that one on there. And I generally, for most people I talked to, had the same sort of reaction. It was like, eh, it was fine. Okay, it was good. It was entertaining. You know, I I didn't meet too many people just outright yeah. hated it. He was good in it. Okay, he was good as Aladdin. So I'll, I'll take it. Huzzah! Because he's one jump ahead of uh, the breadline. Dun dun. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, for my multiple man, I actually went with a guy who's a little bit older. Okay. Um, actually, he's in between you and I in ages. Okay. So I, I picked a guy who uh, I've liked seeing in a few things. He's been in a, a couple of big movies and TV shows recently. He has already technically played a character in the MCU, mm-hmm. but... It's gotten so big, John. <laughs> I know, it's gotten so big. Uh, but he played it on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the mm-hmm. TV show, which... You could probably just dismiss some of that yeah. anyway. Um, that that show went a little weird. Oddly enough, I I liked his iteration of this character okay, but it's not the one I would have wanted to see. But that's I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I actually went with the actor Gabriel Luna, who was in the most recent Terminator Dark Fate movie, and yeah. he played Ghost Rider on Agents of Shield. I liked their Ghost Rider. I, it wasn't. It wasn't the Ghost Rider I knew and loved. Yeah, it's, I'm much more of a Johnny Blaze fan, yeah. and that's just me loving that character 
but or, but I loved Gabriel Luna's he, take on it. Yes, he did a great job as an actor. Yeah, and so that's why I am all I, I th- I'm totally cool with that choice because I okay. think I, I believe in him, and I think I used him maybe as a casting. For I think something you did earlier, for something, but it's because yeah, he did such a good job just as his uh, was it Robbie Reyes I think yeah. that I'm like I want to see more of you exactly yeah I I'd, I'd like to get I I I prefer the Johnny Blaze iteration mm-hmm. of the of the of the Ghost Fred. just you know that fucking motorcycle just looks cool yeah you know? it does it it's just way looks cooler cool. than the car I know uh, so I was I was fine with that but I really did like him so I I want I would want to still see him in the MCU and you know we we can pretty much write off Agents of Shield it was fun it was a great show I enjoyed watching it but as far as its involvement in MCU we we all know the the difficulties that that Marvel TV had yes. with you know cinematics and now that's all under one umbrella we'll see how that goes so yeah so anyway that was uh, Gabriel Luna was my multiple man that's uh that's good stuff. All right, so let's move on to Havoc. Havoc has has Havoc has already appeared, I believe. Not in the MCU. Yeah, well, he was in uh, X Men: The First Class. Yeah, he was yeah. in X Men: The First Class, and he is, the character's name is uh, Alex Summers. And if that uh, should sound familiar, it should because Summers is also the last name of Scott Summers, mm-hmm. who is Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alex is the younger brother. Yes, younger brother of Cyclops, and he sort of has cosmic energy absorption and can shoot out. I think he shoots out of something in his chest. He, yeah, he's got, like, in his suit, you know how, like, Cyclops has his glasses that kind of, like, focus his focus power. it. I think Havoc's is similar, but it's it's on his chest, and he kind yeah. of, like, in in X-Men The First Class, they did a weird, like, Like, hoopy, like yeah, he was throwing hula hoops. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird thing. I didn't like the hula hoop thing, as opposed to just, like, this big power blast that came from, like, his big chest circle that he had. I think, it, I think it's because it was very close to the kind of how Iron Man oh, shoots yeah. his blast out of his chest, except for that this is just all Havoc does, essentially. Yeah. It's just sort of, he absorbs power and then shoots it back out through his chest. Yeah. But he he's a kind of a main uh, main character in X Factor. Mm-hmm. So I'll have a jump for in. It. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I was trying to stick to a pretty comic accurate depiction of Havoc. I thought the guy did okay in X Men: The First Class, but I didn't love that interpretation. And that movie was good, but not great in my opinion. Um, but I wanted somebody who, because Havoc, you know, he's kind of a I think another guy at time. I've seen him as a leader for some other groups yeah so probably so i went with someone who is maybe slightly a little bit older than some of my other people um but he's a good actor and you've probably know him best from tron legacy i went with garrett headland as my oh, havoc i like that cool. i actually really like that choice i liked garrett in tron legacy and there's a mm-hmm. lot of people who shat on that movie but i actually really enjoyed that movie i thought yep. it was fun fun for what it was yeah i'm trying to remember what else he's been in i don't remember i don't remember else? you know what? Yeah. It, it doesn't matter I liked him in Tron Legacy, so I, I'm cool with that. Okay, I'm def I'm definitely cool with that. All right, um, I went a little bit younger. I was kind cry- kind of trying to match match someone who was around around the same age as Emily Bet Rickards, mm-hmm. who I picked as um, as Polaris because I knew uh, they yeah. they were involved in the comic, and I wanted that to play into the movie just because you know you got to have relationships somewhere in there sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, very famously, the the sort of Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine triangle that happened. Yeah, it, it, it happens every time. And it, gets, it gets played out. I don't need it every time anymore. It's true. Because it's like... We've yeah, already we've seen, seen it. it. Yeah. And we've seen it in some good iterations as well. Yeah. 
And I've recently I've gone back and I've started watching the X-Men anime series from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm into season two. I haven't finished it yet because I'm just kind of doing it. Through. And they play that out in the in there as well mm-hmm. into great effect. Yeah. But I'm at the point now where I've seen it so many times. I'm <laughs> like, OK, I, I get it. Yeah. So I went with a little bit of a younger actor. He has done some action. Uh, so I know he can do it. Uh, he played the Red Ranger in the 2017 Power Rangers movie. And he played Billy Hardgrove in Stranger Things. And I'm going to butcher his first name. I yeah. went with uh, Dacker Montgomery. He was actually on my short list. Okay. Uh, I had it between him and uh, two other people. And I went with Garrett Hedlund instead. But I saw him and I was like, oh, you would be a good Havoc. So He's got a good look to him. He does. Yeah, that, that's a good call. And I loved him in Stranger Things. Uh, I, I never saw the Power Rangers recent one, but knowing that he has like that kind of like leadership and superhero quality in that movie, I thought he was he would be a good one. But okay. I used him somewhat recently, so I didn't do it. Okay, but for you to use him, that's a good call. I like okay I like choice. Cool. All right, so let's go on now to Valerie Cooper, who's really actually the only kind of non-hero. Yeah. Uh, in this, uh, she is sort of a in, she's an FBI agent, and she's actually in the '90s iteration. She is the leader of X Factor until Forge comes in and takes over. Um, I don't know the details of when that happens. If she leaves mm. and then he takes over, or how there's a change. Um, but I figured, you know what? It, you could start out with her having someone who is a main character who is not a superhero, I think helps mm-hmm. kind of tie it to the real world. I thought, um, I cannot remember, I can never remember the actress's name nor the character's name, but the lady who plays the FBI agent in X-Men First Class. Rose is her name, is a real name, Rose something, uh, but she's playing Maura McTaggart. Oh, that's right. Um, I actually liked that character yeah. in X-Men First Class, and I, I, I wanted that same feel, so I thought having this yeah. character would work and so i'll jump in with mine i'll tell you what if there's any one of my castings you hate it might be this one taylor swift it was not taylor swift (laughs) Um, but i did kind of go with an unexpected actress not someone who's necessarily known for i wouldn't say serious because this you know if it's a marvel movie there's going to be some comedy involved we Mm -hmm. we want a nice round you know all-encompassing movies which we tend to get with marvel we get some humor we get some seriousness seriousness and that's what we like so i went with an actress she is mostly known for doing comedies and she's a very funny person uh but i thought it'd be interesting to see her in something like this uh, i actually went with Kristen bell oh okay i i so the funny thing is i knew probably the least about valerie cooper out of mm-hmm. any of these characters uh so i had to look her up she's apparently like a lawyer or something she's just no no she's someone with the government or some shit like that i can't remember but she she yeah, she doesn't have power. She's just like a human. But she, she's like the liaison for mutant affairs. Yes, that's it. Liaison. Okay, so I knew something with that. Yeah, I like Kristen Bell's that. Okay, I, I like Kristen Bell a lot. Okay, I think she's adorable. Yeah, and I wish she would leave Dak Shepard and come to me. And <laughs> I don't know. Maybe me and her and my wife can figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. Is okay, that possible. Okay, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna shit on that. Okay, go Kristen Bell. Okay, cool. I, as I mentioned, I really knew nothing about this character, so yet again, I was just kind of left to my devices of <laughs> pick somebody who kind of looks like it. Oh, she's blonde. She looks like she could be a government smart person. She's not maybe terribly different from Kristen Bell, but I mean, she. You've, I don't know if you've heard of this person. She has very recently, she's been on uh, Handmaiden's Tale for a good little while. Uh, she was in the show Dexter for a little bit. Uh, her name is... Yvonne Strahovski. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, I honestly 
knowing that she had done good work in Handmaiden's Tale, I was like, all right, I'll give it. You look like you can be a serious government worker. So I gave it to her. Okay. And she's got a look that I thought matched the comic. She's got a look that matches the comic. That is definitely sure. Um, I have not really watched The Handmaid's Tale. My wife has. Mm-hmm. Loves that show. She, she would probably recognize her from the show. I don't, but she's... She looks like the picture of the comic, yeah. so. And she's obviously, I mean, she was on Dexter for a couple of seasons, mm-hmm. been doing Handmaid's Tale for uh, two or three seasons, so she's probably pretty good. Yeah. So. That's, that's what was my thought, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, let's get to the guy who you really yeah. are doing this entire but list for. <laughs> I'm really just doing this because I really love Forge. I, I loved Forge in the comics. Forge, basically, he's a, a kind of an interesting power, um. He basically has, the way it's kind of described is superhuman intuitive talent at inventing. Mm-hmm. He's very tech savvy. Um, oh. He's kind of, a, he's got a genius level intellect. Um, he does have, uh, he's, he's a skilled marksman. He does have some sort of, some mystical abilities. Um, but basically, like the tech stuff is is his thing. Yeah. Um, and he kind of becomes, at some point, he does become a leader of X-Factor. So I wanted to kind of focus this team around him. Most, I really just wanted to cast him Uh, so Uh, so, i needed a way of doing it so do you want to go first or do you want me to go first but you know i would imagine you'd want to go last because you know this is your one that you care most about but i don't want to accidentally steal your thunder and and cast the guy that you cast so what do you want um I'll, i'll go first okay here's the thing I actually went with a fairly older actor. Okay. But... I could see Forge as being an older character, though. Yeah. It it totally could fit. Uh, Forge is a Native American character, Mm -hmm. so I obviously went with a Native American actor. I think I saw he was from uh, the Cheyenne tribe, I think. I think... Was he Cheroky? Uh, No, I think it was Cheyenne. I think I I I can't remember remember which one. Okay. Um, I did not cast someone tribe-specific. Okay. Um, I went with an actor I knew exactly who I wanted to use. Is not an actor I'd used... I don't think I've used him before. Actually, if you watched, have you watched Westworld? Uh-huh. Did yeah. you watch both seasons? Both seasons. Season two, for me, was extremely slow. Oh, I, I, I couldn't stand it almost. It was it was the most boring thing maybe in the history of television. Yes. <laughs> Except for one episode, which I thought was the greatest episode that they ever made. One of the episodes focused around the Native American character yeah. who keeps, who basically is sort of the antagonist in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then you see his side of the story. And to me, it was one of the greatest episodes that they ever did of Westworld. Um, and the man who was behind that character is a man named Zon McLaren. Mm-hmm. He was also on Longmire. Okay, yeah. yeah I've yeah, seen yeah. him in a few episodes of Longmire. But that episode of Westworld was I found to be so incredibly impactful and I was pissed when he was not nominated for an Emmy for mm-hmm. like guest appearance or something like that you know or for an episode because that was one of the best episodes uh, that Westworld ever did and I thought it was one of the most impactful things I'd seen in a long time so that's who I went with for Forge was Zon McLaren um, that is a great call. It was actually, he was the first name I wrote down actually. Cause I went through a whole list of mm-hmm. native actors is okay. what I That's typically how I start sometimes when right. I want to stick with a, you know, a specific group or whatever. And I saw him and I was like, man, you have a forge look. Yeah. Like he just, he has like kind of like that skinnier kind of look to him that I thought nailed forge. So he was the one, and I didn't end up going with him, Okay, but that's a great call. 
Okay. Absolutely great call. I hope you like my call. You probably obviously won't like it as much as yours, but well. maybe you'll like mine. So I went with a guy who, while I was looking, you know, through kind of like a list, I, I saw him and I was like, okay, you're not the perfect look of like a forge, but you know, that can absolutely be adjusted for the film or for you know tv <laughs> right but i saw some of his credits include included uh the show true detective okay um, he was in season three of true detective he was kind of like uh this guy who had a whole shootout with i never i didn't actually see i watched clips of it on youtube just to kind of get an idea of what he acted yeah. like but he was this uh like this trash guy or something who they thought like did this murder or whatever maybe mm-hmm. he did i can't remember there was a whole shootout scene that i watched on youtube he was also in the movie geronimo he obviously wasn't geronimo because that right. was uh west duty yeah uh, he's also in the show fear the walking dead and he's part of the cree nation in um saskatchewan canada so okay. he is a native actor his name is michael grayes i think you know with what he from what i saw from the clips of true detective and if you can go on that show which has been a fantastic show to my understanding, I think he would be a good choice for Forge. Okay. I don't recognize him mm-hmm. uh, off the top of my head, but, I mean, he's got a good look to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what season of Fear the Walking Dead he was on. I only watched the first one, so if it came later, okay, um, I didn't recognize it. I don't recognize him, per se, but, I mean, he looks like he could do it. I'll take it. I can't really shit on him, because I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know his stuff. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a... <laughs> He'll give me a pass. I give you a now. pass for okay. now, just because I don't know. All right. Uh, he's actually only he's actually only a year younger than than Zon Mc- yeah, McLaren, yeah. so we both we pick similar actors. Mm-hmm. Actually, look at some of the pictures. He's got a good look to him. Mm-hmm. He would, you know, thinking of like the Forge costume, it yeah. wouldn't be bad. Okay. He's got a good look. Cool. We can go with that. <laughs> I'll take a look. All right. We we judged you on your look alone, sir. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> All right, and that was our casting of an X-Factor movie. Please join us next time for another Top 10 episode. John and Adam go back and rank their Top 10 favorite PC games before the year 2000. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. everybody i'm Corey, and i'm zach and we're the hosts of podcasting after dark a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s often found on hbo and cinemax you know the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid you can find us every other week on apple podcasts spotify podbean and stitcher this is what you want this is what you get